Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 40. In this particular chapter, it is filled with examples of individuals of faith. Sometimes this chapter is called the Hall of Faith, in which these individuals have clung to the one and only true God, and their faith has endured. As an example for us in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 40. The text of the Word of God reads, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study. 
Our God in heaven, this morning, O Father, as we gather in the freedom that we have been blessed with, may we not take it for granted as all around the world on this day our brothers and sisters gather to bring you glory in worship and in praise, to hear your word declared. Some gather in caves or below ground or hidden in homes in fear of what might happen, and yet they gather because they are people of faith who desire to bring you worship and glory. So we pray for them, O Father, that they might be strengthened in heart and soul. We pray for us, that we might not take it for granted the freedoms which have been given to us to gather this morning. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It has been so for many years in the first week of November. The Bible tells us very clearly, even as you read in the next chapter, chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. Two of our own are ministering in prisons even now, Nate Bean and Nathan Schaefer ministering in Ethiopia for the rest of the week. But it is more than just those who are in prison. Many of our brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world are persecuted for their faith. They live in fear for their own safety. Yet, they still gather in secrecy to worship God, to hear the word of God read, to whisper songs of worship to the God of the universe, and to share the love of their Savior. There are many reports that come in regularly from around the world that I could tell you of. One, for example, dated Monday, August 15th this year, that a Christian convert in Algeria, for example, has been sentenced to five years in prison for blasphemous comments on his Facebook page against the Prophet Muhammad. In his statements, Slimane Buhops, who's 49 years old, claimed that the light of Christ would outshine Islam, and he published it with a picture of radicals executing people. He was presented before a judge in, on August 7th for his quote-unquote crime because Islam is the national religion of Algeria, and blasphemy can, be, can lead to hefty penalties five years in prison. And in other countries, it is much, much worse. In an interview back in 2011, at the time, Congressman Frank Wolf, who's a very committed Christian from Virginia, he's retired now, he's been an outspoken advocate of international human rights for the past 30 years. And after visiting many, many places around the world for considered hotspots for persecution, he was asked if America, especially churches in America, were failing the oppressed people of the world. And this was his response, quote, I meet many people from around the world who are baffled and concerned that the West doesn't seem to be that interested in their plight. Half 
the Christian community in Iraq is now living in ghettos in Damascus, Lebanon, and Jordan. I was in Egypt last month. The United States has given the Egyptian government over $50 billion since the late 1970s or 1970s. And yet the Christians have been persecuted during that time. If you're a Christian in Egypt, you can't get a government job, you can't be in the military. They wonder why the church in the West hasn't spoken out. In China, you have hundreds of Protestant pastors and house church leaders being imprisoned and persecuted. The church in Sudan has suffered persecution. In southern Sudan, 2.1 million people have died, mainly Christians, but also some Muslims and some animists. I had one woman tell me, quote, the West seems more interested in the whales than in us, unquote. Christians can be self-absorbed, inoculated, inoculated from what happens around the world and absorbed in the minor issues. While millions of our brothers and sisters around the world suffer for their faith and are persecuted. In the book entitled The Upper Room, the author writes, Although the flavor and intensity of the world's persecution may vary from generation to generation, hostility towards Christianity has been a constant throughout church history. Indeed, anti-Christian persecution is a surprisingly widespread and growing problem in the world today. Not only in parts of the world that are dominated by other religions, but also in countries where religious liberty was once celebrated. In America, for example, secularists have waged a daunting campaign for nearly five decades to drive the church out of the public square. Christian values and biblical convictions are increasingly under attack from the government, the media, and the entertainment industry. Most persecution in our culture today consists chiefly of scorn, insults, and legal threats. But with the current drift of public opinion, it may not be very long, may not be long before the church in the West begins to face persecution on a scale comparable to what the early church suffered, unquote. Perhaps a well-known example in our own area of the increase persecution is that of the story of Baronel Stutzman, the sole owner of Arlene's Flowers in Richland, Washington. She has served her entire career and employed people who identify as homosexual. But despite this, the American Civil Liberties Union and Washington Attorney General allege she is guilty of unlawful discrimination because she acted consistent with her faith, declined to use her skills, her creative skills, to beautify the same-sex ceremony of a longtime homosexual customer and another man. Christians have and they will continue to face persecution, opposition. In fact, by the very name, fact that you are a Christian, if you live a godly life, you will face opposition and persecution to some degree. Your faith will come under fire. Our faith shows its true colors when it is under fire. When we're called upon God to do what is right and just, when we are called upon God to face the challenges that lay before us and we stick our heads up, you'll be shot at. We have choices to make. Who we are and the strength of our faith will show. 
We will either choose God's way with courage, counting their privilege to serve, to suffer for Christ, or we capitulate, we cave in, and we justify our lack of backbone to obey God. And here in this particular passage today, we too see individuals who show us what faith is all about when it comes down to the wire. We see that faith will choose God's way in Moses and Moses' parents. We see that there is faith that is courageous for those who are persecuted, and we see that faith considers it a privilege to suffer for our Lord Jesus. The Scriptures gives us heroes of the faith, imperfect people, nevertheless, people whose faith was genuine, people whose faith faced the challenges and the persecution that came their way. The first people we see in this particular passage of text today is the faith that chooses God's way. Despite threats or despite danger, Moses and his parents chose God's way. We see that in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Life is made up of choices, isn't it? We make hundreds of decisions every day. We decide whether or not we're going to get up and go to work. We decide we're going to do that rather than sleep in. We decide we're going to clean the house as opposed to sit and watch TV. We decide that we're going to go to school or visit friends or whatever it may be as opposed to not. We decide we're going to read the Bible or we decide we're just going to not and talk on the phone. We make thousands of these decisions every day, and each and every decision that we make, we decide whether we're going to do what is wise or unwise, what is going to be God-honoring or not God-honoring. And every decision that we make is an opportunity to bring honor to God. Whether we eat or drink, even in the simplest things of life, our motive is to bring glory to God in the decisions that we make. And in the decisions that you watch a person makes, you can see the strength of a person's faith, especially when the decisions are difficult, especially when the decisions have to do with the clear teaching of the Word of God as opposed to what some other authority might want. And we watch those lives, and here in the life of Moses, here in the life of Moses' parents, we see their decisions, their faith that shines it is important and imperative we see this as we see Moses and his parents make a decision. They choose God's will. In this particular instance, in the very first example here in verse 23, the Israelites had come out from living under Egypt, and they were increasing in number. I mean, they they were living in Egypt at the time. They were increasing in number beyond the comfort level of the new pharaoh. And so Pharaoh commanded that all the male babies would be drowned in the Nile. But the parents of Moses, by faith, hid him. They sent him down the Nile in a wicker basket. They were not afraid of what Pharaoh had commanded. They were not afraid. They were not afraid of the soldiers. They chose God's way. And we, too, have a choice to obey God or be afraid of some authority above us that wants us to sin, we can choose to obey and choose God's will. Moses made a choice too. There was no straddling the fence. 
Verses 24 to 26, he chose to reject the world. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to what? Endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Moses was scooped up out of the Nile. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He became highly skilled, trained a prince in Egypt. Acts chapter 7, verse 22 tells us, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. He had wealth, he had influence, things that the world could offer an individual, and yet he was a man of faith, knew about his people. In about the age of 40 or so, he made a crucial decision. Shall I enjoy all that the world has to offer? Should I enjoy the easy life of riches and power and wealth and influence, being raised by Pharaoh's daughter in that house and being educated, or shall I become one with my people? The Bible says he chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He chose to abandon the pleasures of sin, the things, everything the world had to offer and be treated poorly, to flee the land. Why? Verse 26, for he was looking to the reward. His pursuit was for a reward that was so much more than this world had to offer. First John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. How can a man like Eric Liddell, Olympic champion, abandon the fame and the riches of the world to become a missionary in China? Or how can a person like Baron Justinian von Welts renounce his title, renounce his estates, renounce his income, and go serve God in the Dutch New Guinea? I should say the Dutch Guiana. How can a man like C.T. Studd, who was a very famous cricket player in England, become a British Protestant Christian missionary? He's part of what was known as the Cambridge Seven and was responsible for setting up the heart of Africa. He decided to give up the sport, pursue a career as a missionary, and he said this, I know that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. He was the one who penned the famous poem, Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed, Only What's Done for Christ Will Last. And only if we see through the eyes of God, through spiritual eyes, and see that there is a greater reward that Christ has to offer and the suffering that this world will pay is nothing compared to that which God will grant 
in reward. Moses did, by faith, choose to reject the world, all of its riches, the comforts of life, to live for God and not live for himself, because life is not about us, it's about God and the glory of God and the reward that God will give. And so by faith, verse 27, he left Egypt, he kept the Passover, he led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. True and strong faith allows us to do great things for God as God uses us for his glory. No one would have thought that one person could reject the world, confront Pharaoh, lead hundreds of thousands out of slaves out of Egypt, but God can. God uses people who have great faith and decide to reject what the world has to offer, be willing to suffer for their faith in God. Some perhaps have never really stepped out in faith before. Maybe that might be you. Rather than stand up for God and the gospel, we shirk away in fear. Perhaps God is wanting us to take a stand for Him, to choose Him, to choose His way, to reject what the world might say or think. Does it ever mean that life will be easy? In fact, like Moses, it may and will become more difficult. As we die to ourselves and our own desires, and yet God has a better reward by walking by faith than the comfort that the world has to offer. Those who face persecution has a, have a faith that chooses God's way. Those that face persecution have a faith also that is courageous, a faith that is courageous in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. One of the things that marks a person of faith is a person of courage. Faith doesn't come from courage. Courage comes from a person of great faith. J.B. Phillips points out in his book entitled, Your God is Too Small, that if we have a small God, then we should be afraid because that small God would not be able to help us. That small God would be weak or undependable or life's challenges would depend upon us as our God is too small. You know if your God is small in your own conception if you rarely ask, you rarely pray. But if our God is an all-powerful God, which He is, then we ought to go to God and ask of God that He would strengthen us to have courage, to follow what He would desire us to do. It's not hard, you see, to put your faith in God if there's no risk and everything is going well. It's so much more difficult when things are not going well, things are not in our control, things are insurmountable, and then our faith shows. Rahab's faith showed. She believed God would give the land over to the Israelites, and so she welcomed the spies. She hid them. She had the courage to defy her own wicked city, and God granted to her life for her and her family. And Jericho, as it was given here, the Israelites who entered into the promised land, they faced their first obstacle, humanly impenetrable walls of Jericho. Some walls in that day were so wide you could have two chariots that would drive across the wall itself. 
the testimony of these ten spies who went to scout out the land. They said in Deuteronomy 1.28, the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. But Moses reminded them, do not be shocked nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf just as he did in Egypt before your eyes. And by faith they walked around those walls seven times and it was God who took down the walls. They believed God. They had the courage to obey God. And they did this because they had a God who could give them victory. And there are many other heroes of the faith displaying their courage. As the text continues on in verse 32, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, all of these individuals. Then in verse 35, it says, others were tortured, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, and yet also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death by the sword. Men of whom the world was not worthy. The Bible lists a number of people who, because of their faith in God, faced persecution, and they were tortured for it. That word tortured is by an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word, Timpanizo, the same root from the English word timpani, which is a kettle drum that you see in bands. The particular torture that's referred to here involved the stretching of an individual victim over a large drum-like instrument, and as he was stretched, they would beat the individual with clubs until he was dead, often. And according to tradition, as it says here, some were sawn in two. Isaiah was sawn in two because the people hated his preaching. To take a stand and have courage for God is exemplified in many in the Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were sterling in their testimony when they refused to bow down to the gods, the foreign gods, the idol that was made, and instead faced their own fiery furnace. And they said this to the king in Daniel chapter 3. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up, unquote. Men of faith who cared more about obedience to God than about saving their own lives. They believed that God could save their lives, but even if he didn't, they would not bow the knee and sin against God. And time and time again, people of God People of faith have believed God for what only he could do, and they were persecuted for it. Never meant that they would have an easy life in obedience. It says here they were stoned and killed in poverty, treated poorly, living in poor conditions, in caves and deserts and mountains. In fact, in the world's eyes, they made the wrong choice. In all these individuals in the world's eyes, in Hebrews chapter 11, in the world's eyes, Abel made the wrong choice. He gave God his best, and 
He was killed for it. In the world's eyes, Noah was insane to spend over a hundred years building that ark in the middle of nowhere. In the world's eyes, Abraham lost it all. In Genesis chapter 12, when he left his people, he left his land, he left his inheritance, he left his name. That's what happens when you leave a place like that, when God called him out of her. In the world's eyes, it was a failure for Moses to abandon the wealth, the fame, the power, the influence, the comforts of Egypt and become slave and abused, running for his life. From the world's eyes, each of those people who live by faith would be foolish, but from God's eyes, their names are written here for all of eternity because of their greatness of faith in God, because of their uncompromising faith, because of their faith to choose God's will, to have courage to do that which is right. And even in our congregation over many years, we've seen many who have decided to serve the Lord and to give up what the world would have to offer. In the world's eyes, it would be a waste. We've seen that here. I've seen people give up their entire savings, retirement, to serve and, 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 and worship, learn the Word of God. I've seen people who have forgone health insurance, not to have any for a time because serving and doing what God wanted them to do was more important. I've seen someone give up a business that would make thousands of dollars a week to take up a job that makes less than $10 an hour so they could serve God in the ministry. Watch people forsake the American dream of home, family, a stable job to serve God. Why? Because what Christ offers is so much more than what this world would have to offer. Not because people are holier or people are more godly, but because the reward is great, because God is great, because the privilege is great, because the privilege of giving one's life for the things that matter for eternity are great. The privilege of investing in things that will matter, the things that will last. God, His Word, and the souls of men and women that is what will last for eternity that we can have an impact on and the willingness to be as Moses. Verse 25, ill-treated with the people of God. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What are you looking for? What kind of reward are you looking for? Well, what is your treasure? What are you shooting for in life? What do you really worship? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, as Jesus says. People of faith in the world's eyes would be foolish, but people of faith in God's eyes can choose God's way, have a faith that is courageous, and lastly, consider it a privilege. Persecution, they consider it a privilege. We looked at Acts chapter 5 earlier in the year. If you turn with me, Acts chapter 5, it's a passage in which the apostles are arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus, preaching the resurrected Messiah. Acts chapter 5, we look at verse 41. They were arrested, they were commanded by the Jewish authorities no longer to speak anymore in the name of Christ, and they were released. Now, if you were arrested, you were beaten, you were just sold to stop evangelizing, what would you do? Would you stop? Would you leave? Here's what they did. Acts 5.41. So they went on their way, 
from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Isn't that interesting? They had joy. They had joy. They had joy after being arrested, after being jailed, after being beaten, after being scolded for their actions. And after all of that, they rejoiced because they had been considered worthy, worthy to suffer shame for his name. If you were to be shamed, would you rejoice? Would you consider it a privilege? Would you say to yourself, wow, what an honor, what an honor. Maybe it's not even you. What if your children were called to the mission field? and You heard of news of their imprisonment or their persecution. Would you not only pray for their release, but pray that they would praise God? And you praise God that they and their testimony has been such that they have the privilege of suffering shame for His name? Now, I'm not promoting some type of strange idea that people ought to run towards martyrdom nor deliberately invite people to hate you or be obnoxious or that type of a thing. In fact, when Paul was being hunted by the Jews, the disciples would help him to escape and he would run to the next city. But if and when persecution does come, will we consider it a privilege to suffer shame for his name? Philippians 1.29 reminds us, for to you it has been granted, to you and you and you and you it's been granted, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me, Paul writes. What did they do? They rejoiced. They considered it a privilege. Not only that, verse 42, every day, Acts 5, every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were undaunted by the threats. They were undaunted by the retribution that would come their way because the truth of the Word of God was more important than their personal well-being. Persecution comes. Will you choose God's way? you have the courage? you consider it a privilege? Or would you shirk away in fear and decide that you're going to not do or say anything? Many of you are familiar with Martin and Gracia Burnham. Gracia is the author of the book, In the Presence of Thine Enemies, and they were missionaries to the Philippines, and they were abducted in 2001 by Muslim guerrillas. Well, maybe you might not know that less than a week before Martin Burnham, who was the husband, Martin and Gracia, less than a week before Martin Burnham was abducted to the Philippines, the New Tribes missionary gave a devotional on a Wednesday evening service at Rose Hill Bible Church in his small hometown outside of Wichita, Kansas. And some of his last words in the U.S. were also the last words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John, said by said Ralph Burnham, who is Martin's uncle. His very last words were, follow thou me. He said, Martin not only spoke of following him, but he took on that responsibility. Of course, at that time, neither he nor any of us expected how far he was going to be required to go, but he was willing to go. And he kept that attitude. 
is 42 years old. His wife, Gracia, throughout the 376 days in captivity by which they were held by Abu Sayyaf, a terrorist group in the Philippines. And you might know and recall that there was a rescue attempt by the Philippine military, the kidnappers that led to his death and gracious freedom. But before that, the two huddled together in a hammock under a makeshift tent. Quote, Martin and Gracia had really been thinking that there would be a chance that they would not make it out alive, his brother said. Martin said to Gracia, the Bible says to serve the Lord with gladness. Let's go out all the way. Let's serve him all the way with gladness. Then the two prayed in their hammock, recited scripture verses to each other, and sang. They laid down to rest, and then the rescue assault began, and bullets began to fly. Gracia's leg was punctured, and Martin was shot in the chest. He rolled over his body onto Gracia, and they couldn't tell if she had died or not, but he died that day, serving the Lord with joy. No matter what the cost, my prayer is that when persecution comes, that we would be able to face it with courage, that we would be able to consider it worthy to suffer for his name's sake, that we would choose God's will, and that we would remember those who suffer around the world and be grateful for the privilege we have to worship him, to pray for those who are imprisoned and persecuted for their faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we here often forget, often forget, O oh God, of the gracious privilege you have granted to us, the privilege of holding a Bible in our own hand, the privilege of gathering in freedom, the privilege of singing out loud praises and songs of worship, the privilege Oh God, we have all because of your grace. And we pray, Father, for our brothers and our sisters around the world, many who have not their own copy of your word. But we pray that your word would dwell richly within them, that they have hidden your word in their heart, that you would strengthen their faith and cling to that which is precious and eternal that they would not compromise nor capitulate to the temptation of denying you, but God, that you would help them, that you would give them courage, and that they would look to the future and live for the reward to come. And may we learn from them that the reward to come, the eternal reward, is so much more precious than the passing riches and pleasures of the world we live in. Thank you, O Father, for your precious word. In Jesus' name.